listeners, welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I will be your host for today's episode. But before we get into it, we have a couple announcements from our president, Andy Steiger. Hi, listeners. This is Andy Steiger. And I have two announcements for you. The first one is Steve and I will be out in Atlantic Canada on February 16th to the 19th. We're both excited about this. We've never been out there. Looking forward to it. I'll be speaking at Crandall University on February 17th. So if you want to come out and join us in New Brunswick for that, we'd love to see you. But we'll also be heading over to Nova Scotia for the 18th and 19th. If you're in either of those areas and you would like to connect with us, we would love to see if we can fit it in uh, to connect, especially if you're a pastor or ministry leader, please reach out to us. The second event that we have coming up is a pre-conference taking place on March 2nd called Made in Canada. It's being hosted at Axe Seminaries between 7 and 9 p.m. This is an opportunity to talk about what's going on in Canada with regards to medical assistance in dying. We have uh, a number of great presentations that are happening. We have Far Curlin, who'll be giving a keynote address. Medicine, have we lost our way? Far is a medical professional that spent 20 years in palliative care and now works in ethics at Duke Divinity School. There will be a panel discussion with Raphael Samuel, an anesthesiologist, myself, Gloria Woodland, the Director of Chaplaincy and Spiritual Care Program at Axe Seminaries, and Larry Worthen, the Executive Director of Christian Medical and Dental Association. We'll be talking on this important subject from a Christian perspective. We would love to have you out, so register today at ApologeticsCanada.com for either our in-person or live stream options. Once again, welcome to the AC Podcast. Enjoy the episode. What's going on? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with my comrades, Andy and Steve. I just really wanted to say comrades, so welcome to that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, comrade. Yeah. Thank you. You got to be careful with that word with me. I come from a particular background. With our neighbor to the north, always using that word. No, I'm just kidding, man. I mean, it's it's you're not, but you're not though. (laughs) (laughs) It it reminds me of uh, 1984. Okay, 1984. um, Hey, by the way, I think. But as we start the show, man, we got to talk about our new intro music. Oh, what that this old thing? What? This old white's playing again. <laughs> That's so strange. It's the AC podcast. For the love of God, love people. Wow. It's just like when you say it out loud, it just pops up. Kind of like, I don't know, some weird kids game. That was so good. <laughs> so full credit to our good friend, Troy, who lended yes. his voice to that. Thank you, Troy. You yeah, I got to say something, though, about it that just makes me laugh because I I, uh, I I love it, of course. But I brought it up to a bunch of young adults where I said, well, what do you think about this whole, for the love of God, love people? You know, I thought it, it'd be a fun, you know, play. And I still like it. And I'm glad you used it. But mm-hmm. do you guys remember when I brought this up? Yes. yes. I do remember. Yeah, because only a Bible student would be like, well, how do you mean it? 
Do you mean if you want God's love, then you need to love people? And I'm like, no, that's exactly speaking. <laughs> it's exactly that's what I don't the logical mean. Logical point of view. Of this <laughs> doesn't make sense. Then they ruined it for me. They ruined Absolutely. it. But you know what, Troy? Thank you. Brought it back. Thank you, man. I revived it. You know. That's that's just the God I believe in restoring things from, <laughs> to their proper order. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, yeah listeners, as, so as AC good. continues, uh, we're as we said, we're we're making the jump to have the podcast on uh, on YouTube. Um, the goal is an episode a month, and so we're just trying to we're just trying to spice things up, like all these fancy young YouTubers that just want you to absolutely annihilate and mash their subscribe button so you can do that for us um i heard of one youtuber is like just d- go deathcom 5 to that subscribe button i was like dude that's that's intense but okay <laughs> so make sure you listeners you head over to youtube head over to our youtube look up apologetics canada um if you don't see any of us three it's probably not apologetics canada but it also means that someone catfished us, and I'm really excited who plays to see who plays Andy and Steve. <laughs> you know, given the topic of uh, Doomsday, you know, I guess that you can Doomsday that subscribe button. So you can Doomsday, yes, <laughs> yes, just nuke it, <laughs> just nuke it. <laughs> Someone's offended. I can hear it already. But um, yeah, today on the podcast, we're talking about the Doomsday Clock and in relation to doomsday christians but andy give give us more context to this doomsday clock like this is the first time i've really ever heard of it well it's interesting enough i've heard of it a long time but i've never actually taken the time to look into it so okay. I, that's one of the things i actually like, love about the podcast is I, I it forces me to just take some time out of the day to go okay like so what exactly is this doomsday clock that keeps being brought up now the Doomsday Clock was created in 1947, and uh, it's a clock that gets adjusted periodically to reflect how close to a you know nuclear apocalypse or just apocalypse or just you know end of the world, if you will, the Doomsday. Uh, adjusted by who? How close we are. So, well, I mean that that's kind of a running joke, and maybe we'll just get to that in a moment. Is you know it's a a body of people slash scientists that uh, make that decision. But I, what I do think is interesting is that it has been changed. So it's 75 years old. It's been changed 25 times within the last 75 years. And one of the reasons why we're talking about it today is because it was just recently changed here in 2023. And it and it was moved, and this was a, a significant moment, because it was moved to the closest it's ever been to midnight. And of course, midnight represents doomsday uh, than in its entire history. So there's a, there's a lot to talk about here uh, with regards to that. But one last caveat here, just to understand the doomsday clock, the doomsday clock is set into an interval of 15 minutes. So 15 minutes is the farthest away from midnight, so farthest away from doomsday. Now, we're in 2023, so this is the closest it's ever been to midnight. It was set to 90 seconds to midnight. But the farthest away that it's ever been set was in 1991. And and I thought this was interesting. Not only did they put it all the way back to 15 minutes, they actually went beyond that and put it at 17 minutes. So apparently there's some wiggle room there on what what they can do. Can we go past Doomsday? I don't know. Interesting. 
So uh, I'm just curious, what was happening back in, say, 1991 that the clock was set back that far? I'm assuming something like, you know, well, the I mean, fall I turned of Soviet one. Union. <laughs> I turned one, so the world just Thanks for making us feel old. Yeah, I mean, it, it, just say it. Became a better place. <laughs> Troy, you're a 90s kid, man. I am a 90s kid. Oh, I man. Proud. Very proud 90s kid. That's awesome. You yeah, know what? I, I respect 90s. that. You know, well, here's something interesting, Steve, with regards to this. So we're looking at the end of the Cold War. Uh, and mm-hmm. so optimism was at its highest at, at that time that, you know, mm-hmm. that we're heading in the right direction. Now, one of the things that I find really interesting is I reflect back over this period. And Steve, I think, you know, you've experienced this as well, is that through the 90s into the year 2000, there was this there was this cultural belief that we're heading in the right direction and that people are basically good and that we can create you know this kind of utopia sort of idea like so in other words mm-hmm. i remember very distinctly growing up in the 90s and when i first started heading off into ministry in the late 90s but i i distinctly remember people very much had to be convinced that that the world was broken they they didn't inherently have this idea, if you will, like, oh, that there's evil in the world. They more or less kind of had this idea that people are basically good and that we're heading in a, in a good direction. And, you know, this evil thing was really something they needed to be convinced of. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really good point because that comes up. It's not the first time this has happened, right? Where people, it, it's hard to convince people that we're actually broken. Um, Because that was sort of the running belief up until the break of, say, the two world wars. And some tragedies like that happen, and all of a sudden people are like, oh, maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. Because before before that, you know, the belief was rampant, like denying the doctrine of original sin, for example. Yep. You know, those kinds of things. And so, um, yeah, this is not the first time that we've gone through this. Well, and intriguingly enough, then, right, we went into World War II, where the doomsday clock was pushed to its, you know, closest. I, I wonder, as I was reading the articles, I was thinking, okay, so at the height of World War II, where where would they put the doomsday clock? I, I mean, I don't even know if you know about this, but during the Manhattan Project, where we're inventing nuclear warfare, the Germans were farther advanced than we were in this, particularly there's something called heavy water, than than we were. So we actually had to we had to sabotage the the Germans, like we had to sabotage their research so that we could catch up to where they were. And you realize, you know, when you look at that war, just how close it really was to being a very different world than we live in today. So I don't I don't know where they would have said it, but it definitely made them sober minded. So when they came out of that, you know, you have a couple things that happened. One, you had the UN, the creation of the UN and the drafting of things like the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But as well, as we're talking about here, you have the creation of the Doomsday Clock, where I guess you could say it was a society that was saying, hey, we better be careful. We came too close. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting to note, like, looking at this whole Doomsday Clock idea and how, like, this one article, it just says that since 2007, researchers then added environmentalism to the equation because of the increase in human-made threats that might spark a global catastrophe. 
if you watch any documentary, you can't watch a normal animal documentary without at the end, there's this caveat of this is how it is. These are the animals. This is nature. But it's all sucks. It it, it all sucks because of you. Because <laughs> of you. So, so what can you do? You can keep talking about it. And it's just <laughs> yeah, cool, man. Yeah. Like, what are you supposed to do with that? You you grew up, I think, in the era, but I think as w- more so our kids today are growing up in the era of the documentaries, right? The animal documentaries, the, oh, the nature documentaries that are con- you're absolutely right, Troy. They always end in a doomsday. Hey, isn't nature beautiful? But yeah, you destroyed it. And, and there's not a lot of hope given either on how do you solve this situation. It's it's like you're just the problem, and and you kind of just left with that, right? Yeah. Just this quick example of of activism kind of gone wrong. There's a ton of acti- activists that wanted to have marine land close. And anyone who knows what marine land is, it was a it's a marine park that had animals, had whales, had seals, had all those all those animals, and they got it close, got it shut down. But they have a whale who has been there. It's like this whale is like 70 years old, has outlived five of its calves, and they have no means of removing it and taking it back to the wild because it's lived in captivity so long and they've labeled it the world's loneliest orca because you could you could go see footage right now of this whale just swimming in this tank by itself and i'm sure somebody goes there to feed it but activism was like man shut it down which i totally understand but not paying attention to the extra parameters and things that needed to be put in place like you got the park shut down but now you've got this whale living alone entirely alone in captivity you know um i have a thought and i'd love your feedback on this because i i sometimes get critical whenever there's this kind of big doomsday scenario because i can't really tell how much of that is based on kind of detached scientific thinking if you will versus how much of this is us reading our optimism or pessimism into it yeah right how much of that or or is our optimism pessimism the result of our scientific research and thinking or are we going into it with optimism and pessimism and we're just kind of projecting that because if you think about it there have been a number of significant projections that have failed And what I'm particularly thinking of, and Andy and I have talked about this before, is this sort of population bomb scenario, where um, probably the most well-known person for this uh, is Paul Ehrlich, um, an American professor who wrote a book called Population Bomb. And uh, he apparently gave a speech back in 1970 saying that by year 2000, the UK is going to be this uh, just a small group of impoverished islands inhabited by some 70 million hungry people. you know. And there was all this like doomsday scenario, we're all going to starve to death by, maybe, maybe that's exaggerating it, but there's going to be some significant uh, damage done to humanity by 2000. And that has completely failed, that prediction. Uh, there may still be some truth in it. So all that to say, I, I'm sometimes skeptical, like how much of this is us reading our projection, like optimism or pessimism into it, and how much of that 
is the result of our actual scientific thinking. Like, what do you guys think? Hmm. Well, let me uh, first say that as we got into this conversation, we were saying 1991, you know, you had the height of optimism. Mm -hmm. And that began to dwindle, particularly when we got into the 2000s. And we, you know, I think a number of different things took place, Steve, you know, besides concern over the environment. Um, then we had, you know, financial issues. We had, you know, mass shootings became a thing. We began to to realize that maybe the world isn't as great a place as we thought it was, right? Like the optimism bubble burst. And it feels as though for the last decade or two, you know, that it just has ramped up more and more and more. And so uh, on, th on that note with what you're getting at, I think in some ways, it's almost like you're on this wave of despair and this mm. wave of anxiety that has been building for a long time. It's not like this just happened. I would say for the last two decades, this wave has been building because the thing that's interesting about this moment is it's it's almost kind of ironic when we think about you know the question that that you're asking Steve because i would argue that we have been in far worse times with the doomsday clock than we are now but why in this moment have we placed the doomsday clock at its worst uh, so I, I think that that's that's worth pondering like what is it about right now that's worse than the cold war or the cuban missile crisis or that's worse than, you know, many, you know, uh, particularly in the United States when we had a, you know, president assassinated or when we had uh, the World Trade uh, Towers destroyed, you know, 9-11 and various other things. What makes this moment so bad? I, I, I actually think it's because we've been riding this wave for a while. It's so interesting just seeing what what people grab onto when it comes to activism and what just what gets into the forefront of people's minds. I remember, uh, I wonder if you remember this, Andy, I don't know if they had these in Alberta, Alberta, Steve, but there was that organization, OnePlanetOneChild.org that had billboards up everywhere that were talking about overpopulation. The sign would read, conservation begins at contraception, or it's like, love the planet, OneChild.org. Right. There was just nothing really to properly back it up saying that we were overpopulating. Now, Naturally, people are crammed into city spaces, but the science just did, like the numbers didn't add up. You have the same scientists on the other side that are talking about how the world goes through cycles, like seasons, like the world goes through biological cycles and all that stuff. And it's just like, but we're attacking families? Interesting. Mm -hmm. Like that just seems to go right up there with everything else that's going on in regards to attacking family. But that's a different podcast. <laughs> in fact, we did a podcast on that exact yeah. uh, uh, billboard, but uh, that we campaign. We should put that up in the show note. You know, yeah. on that note, it's interesting. I saw this meme in the interwebs a little while back. It was a picture of this family. And uh, if I remember correctly, it was a Catholic family. And you know the kind of joke about Catholic families, right? They have big families. And oh, this I thought one that was Christians from Manitoba. <laughs> carry on. It, 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 it's uh, both Troy. <laughs> it's it's both um and so this family actually this mom took a picture with all her kids and there were like eight of them 
And one of the comments, and I believe this was on Twitter, one of the comments was, this is straight up domestic terrorism. Right. Oh um, this this is the, the idea is that that's why we can't have Twitter. Problem. By the way, you it's, <laughs> it's just the shiny beacon of the finest examples of human thinking. Right. Right. Um, and so, but that but the idea behind that I think is that you know humans are the problem, and to have more than a certain number of kids is tantamount to killing the planet because mm-hmm. you're using up the resources, you know, people are going to poverty and all that kind of stuff. You know, the carbon footprint that comes from just one person over the course of his or her lifetime, you know, that sort of thing. And so one of the things that I'm really concerned about when we're talking about climate change and things like that, listen, yes, I, I want to protect the planet too, but I don't think that anti-human philosophy underlying it is going to get us there. Steve, you're you're hitting a really important point mm-hmm. that is a thread running through all of the major challenges that are being brought up right now about why the doomsday clock is has been pushed to its closest. And and here are just some of them. So you guys have mentioned climate change, and so a sub point of climate change would be population size. Uh, however, I think it is worth noting that I, I didn't hear population size brought up in the discussions with regards to the doomsday clock, but it is kind of baked in to uh, to a lot of these. But climate change, nukes, of course, the the war uh, that's going on, uh, the pandemic, and very much we're hearing this conversation that of this pandemic continuing and that the world's never going to be the same as, as though we've never gone through a pandemic before. And then the technology, particularly AI and things like that, is, is really driving a, a lot of the fears. And one of the things, though, that I have been noticing that goes to your point, Steve, is that more and more we, we hear and we talk about in our society all of the problems, and often we are the root cause of the problem. And so the the idea then is that we have to stop everything. It has to you have to stop people and you have to stop uh you know po- pollution or all these things. And one one of the things though that's interesting about that kind of a mindset is it's not actually trying to solve the problem. Right? It it's it's kind of like a ship that has a hole in it and you're just and and everybody's saying, listen, listen, the ship is sinking. You gotta you gotta throw the water out of the ship. And everybody's got these buckets, and they're running down into the hull of the ship, filling them up with water and throwing it over the edge. And you and I realize, like the the ship's going to keep sinking. Yeah. Like the ship has a hole in it. So so what exactly are we trying to do innovatively to move forward? For example, how often do you hear in the news about about funding or whatever for clean energy or the thoughts about how do we how do we make, you know, energy clean? How do we do things efficiently? How much effort are we putting into that versus grab another bucket cuz you got to throw more water over the side? Instead of just asking those I think those important questions of, well, h- how can we do this better? 
right? How, how can we be innovative and, and creative and how can we move forward in more of a positive mindset versus what I think the doomsday clock sets us up in is a crisis mindset. And we just remain in that crisis mindset. And um, just to add to what you're saying, Andy, when it comes to carbon, I'll just make a very brief point. Uh, it's not even that carbon itself is bad. Um, but there is apparently, I, I got, I heard this from somebody in our church, Mark, he has worked in environmental side of things for a long, long time. By the way, uh, he's probably listening to this. Hi, Mark. Uh, you're awesome. Thank you. Like, this is the kind of guy. Hopefully he's okay you with you him. mentioning his name. <laughs> yeah. Um, didn't mention his last name. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of marks out there. I'll give you that. Yeah. But anyway, uh, one of the things that he told me is that in environmental studies, there is this saying that dose makes the poison, right? Mm. So it's not necessarily that carbon itself is bad, um, but the amount of carbon, right? Um, but having said that, um, to your point, Andy, yeah, there are other sources of major sources of carbon being put out into the atmosphere, and those things will all have to be taken into account. And perhaps that'll give us a better perspective on, um, you know, anthropogenetic kind of things of what humans are contributing to it and the amount and those kinds of things. It'll give us a, because when we talk about carbon, uh, we don't really hear about those side of things. Uh, I don't know why, but it's always about what cars emit, factories emit. But we don't really. I I certainly haven't heard a lot of you know volcanoes and those kinds of things. Mm. I'd be I'd just be interested to know because, like you were saying, there's there's all these moves towards being more environmentally friendly and you know many many of those comments and initiatives which in heart are very good, but it just feels like there is a kind of a, a little bit of a smoke screen going on because you're make you know, for example, we want to make BMW, like you heard in our previous podcast, wants to make all these new electric vehicles. This is the wave of the future. Well, how much is it going to cost to make one of those vehicles that to make the computer on those things, the raw materials to get those off the assembly line and like the battery alone, what it makes, what it takes to make a battery. If, if emissions is the problem, that's not the route, you know, it's just, it, it feels like there's such a discrepancy, but for me, what it seems is that oftentimes when these things come up, these these ideas of doomsday clocks, the world is ending, the sky is falling. Oftentimes, it's it's politically driven, it's financially driven, and it's playing off of people's ignorance. A lot like you were saying, Steve. Yeah, you, you know, a great illustration of what you were saying about electric vehicles. So again, I saw this meme because I like searching for memes on the internet it's one of my guilty <laughs> yeah. pleasures and then steve and wes send them to me by the way and uh <laughs> yes and yes, I, yes, we do. I do my enjoy this flooded and there's way more that gets exchanged between me and wes than what we actually send you it's just a small sample of that Andy. um but there was this one meme uh of this guy who was charging his car the plug and the line and everything is in green, but then everything else is in brown. And connected to the charging station, you see in the distance this big factory, like a power plant with all plumes of like uh, air pollutants just being released into the air. 
right? And so the idea behind that is even in pursuing the so-called green energy, are we actually is this actually green or are we creating more pollution in trying to create the green energy, right? So what we do need to do is like you mentioned, Andy, earlier, is better innovation so yeah. that it, this is actually green. Um, those are all things to think about, I think. You're absolutely right. By the way, uh, the yeah. vast majority of electricity is made by coal. And that uh, the irony there, you know, you can just sit with that. But it was interesting because I was talking with my son the other day about, you know, what, what, kind of, what sort of things would he like to go into in the future? What kind of a profession or what would he like to study? And, and he said something that I thought, was was really interesting because I think it's it's the answer to a lot of what we're struggling with is he's like oh I'd be interested in studying energy I'd be interested in studying you know how how do we do clean energy and and my my point in on this is listen I I think the environment's important and listen I definitely don't think we're getting things right uh, when it, with a lot of what we're doing but we need to think we need to think better about these things and not just have some sort of crisis mindset, but be thinking about, Hey, how can we move forward positively and innovatively and creatively as we seek to, you know, create cleaner energy? Because I I don't think driving your car is the problem. I I think it's about the kind of energy that we're using to drive our cars. That that's the problem. And so how, how are we doing that? If I were just to say one of my skepticisms of of all this and the doomsday clock and whatnot is I can't help but feel like consumerism is constantly lurking in the background on so much of this, right? Yeah. That, and a lot of people don't want to talk about that. One of the things that actually tipped me off on this that I started thinking about it was I was watching a documentary that's floating around right now. Can't remember if it's on Amazon or Netflix. Forget, yeah, you'll, you'll find it on one of those. It's called, Hey Pepsi, where's my jet? Did, have you guys seen this no. promoted? Oh, oh, I saw the promo. I saw the yeah. promo for it. Yeah. So I decided I'd watch this. I was bored one day. I'm like, oh, I'll give it a shot, right? And it was like a time machine back into the 90s as you're watching the Cola Wars, as they're called, as Coke and Pepsi you know, are doing all these commercials back and forth. But yeah. you're watching this thing and you're like, man, I forgot how much I was marketed to back then to drink this incredibly terrible soda for you. Like, like, you know, you're being encouraged to drink all of these calories and, and caffeine and, and whatnot. And then, you know, it wasn't long after that, that, you know, got into a lot of like health crazes because people are like, Hey, maybe I shouldn't have been drinking all of that sugar you know, all of those years sort of, sort of idea. But, but then Coca-Cola made vitamin water and own it. So. <laughs> right. Well, then came diet, right? Then you right. got your diet Pepsi, your diet Coke and, and all the rest. But I'm like, man, we're just constantly being marketed to whether we're, we're being marketed with cars, we're being marketed with all of these objects. And now we use the environment as part of the marketing and and everything else. And, and it's just easy in this sort of a culture to become a consumer that's just constantly being marketed to versus somebody who's like, well, I'm actually going to think about intelligently about what's going on and the decisions I'm going to make and the products I'm going to buy, but also the kind of citizen that perhaps we should be as we think about what it actually means to innovate and not just be marketed to. Yeah. You know, the saying, you, you know, the saying, right? Sex sells. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> Where is Steve going with this? I was like, <laughs> uh, <the> saying. <laughs> you, you know the saying sex sells, but there's something else that sells, and that's fear. 
That's right. Big right. Time. And, and so much of what you're saying, Andy and Troy, and just talking about the doomsday scenario, climate change, consumerism, so much of this is being driven by fear. But now, as and this is something that I love about the Christian faith, is that I think there is a really healthy tension between fear, but then there's also the hope. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? There, There is fear in a sense of, listen, like we are not as good as we think we are. We're broken. We're going to create problems. Yes, we're going to get some things right, but we're going to get a lot of things wrong too, but it's okay in a sense. Now, I'm not saying that because there is this hope in, in Christianity, therefore we just kind of you know, sit back and let the world burn up around this kind of a thing. I mean, there is yeah. a real call, like this Christian duty, our responsibility to our neighbors, right? Because we ought to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So what kind of a love are we showing if we're just like, ah, I don't care about the environment, it's all going to burn up anyway, and right? Um, and so I'm not saying that because there is this hope, we don't do anything. Having said that, we don't have to be enslaved to fear, right? We don't have to think, let, let's take, let's pick up on consumerism again. There is the premise of fear. If you don't get this, your life is going to be worse. You know, here's that something that's going, this, here is your savior, right? Is the new toothbrush or the new drink that you can have or whatever it might be. But as a Christian, I look at them and I go, yeah, that'd be nice. And you know what? That's not my savior. I don't have to be enslaved to a worse life. This is what Paul was saying is that he he learned the secret of contentment, right? Whether he had plenty or whether he was poor, he just learned to be content in the hope that he has in Jesus Christ. And I guess I just want, especially us Christians, to remember the, the nature of the hope that we have. And I think that'll change the way we look at climate change or consumerism or anything else. Yeah, that, that's really important, Steve, because you can you can also go completely the other route where you try and pursue ignorance as bliss. You know, I don't I don't know of anything. And you know, sometimes we just need that garden reminder that we were put here to steward the earth. We were put here to have dominion. Right. We were put here for uh, the purpose of, yeah, really walking this life out and, and appreciating what God has given us. But sometimes, yeah, we, we run down the whole other route where we, we lose sight of it. You know, the, the truth is that, that the Lord is coming back. This world, as we know it, will, will pass away. And there's, gotta, there's also got to be hope in that, too. You know, at, part of the curse was that we're going to have to labor and toil and fight to to create produce and, you know, we have to innovate rather than just having things just be created, right? We have to work hard for these things to exist. And I think there's, there's that other side of it is, is as scripture says, you're not going to add a minute to your life by worrying, but at the same time, if you have this faith and hope, there's faith without works is dead. And so just like you're saying that you got to find that middle ground where you put your hand to the plow in faith, that says, my portion is my portion. I think that that's difficult for us because we as Christians have our own version of the doomsday clock, mm. right? We 
we call it the the Lord's return, the end of the world, right? The apocalypse, whatever, whatever, however you revelation, you know, however, however you want to yeah. look at that. Yeah, but we kind of got our own doomsday view sometimes, and which is interesting, right? Because it it doesn't have to doomsday doesn't have to be a bad thing from a Christian perspective. That mm. yeah, the Lord is coming back. Everything is going to come to an end, no matter if you believe in God or you're a Christian or not. We all are cognizant of the fact that this all will come to an end. Yeah. Uh, and how is it going to come to an end is the big question. Who's in control of that ending? And and so for us, we know who's in control of that ending. But here's the part that gets weird, though, when you look at this from a Christian perspective, is I meet some Christians who are still living in the fear, though. The doomsday clock for them isn't one of hope of who's in control, but it's more one of uh, frustration and whatnot of the conspiracies and the and trying to and trying to like divine the time as well that I that I find so interesting. There's that tension, and I'm sure you've in, encountered those sorts of Christians that are doomsday Christians. That does make a lot of sense. It resonates with me in my own experience. Because I have seen those Christians who just kind of throw up their hands and say, everything is going to burn up. Mm. Um, Now, here's what I find interesting. Um, I'm not sure that just theologically, uh, my position is, I'm not sure that everything is going to burn up and then get restarted in that sense. Because what I see in scripture, where it's all headed to is restoration. Right. Right, restoration. Um, now, even if everything was just, just totally going to burn up and get destroyed, that still doesn't give us the justification then to treat, say, the earth or the environment with sort of contempt or just kind of apathy. Because, you know, w- when we treat something, we treat it according to its value, not because of its lifespan. So what I mean by that is, listen, like we would never want to abuse our kids thinking, well, you know, he or she is going to die anyway. No, that we don't treat our kids according to their lifespan. We treat our kids uh, according to the value, inherent value that they have. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, the environment and and human beings have the same value. I don't believe that. Having said, uh, all I'm saying is, when we treat something, we treat it according to its value and not its lifespan. So mm-hmm. to say everything's going to burn up, so I'm not going to care about the environment, that's just a really uh, – I would argue that it's a poor argument. Well, we could take it another step further because where you're kind of going there, Steve, is an important thing for us to talk on in this podcast. And that is that this is a, a messy situation because we live in a broken world. So it's it's not as though we can just have a happy-go-lucky you know, personality that says, I'm always going to see the bright side in things because the reality is you're living in an evil world and people do evil things. And sometimes you got to come to terms with that and it's going to cost you. So for example, my son right now in school and socials is talking through World War II and it has led to multiple conversations with my son and I. I mean, just the other night, my son was like, dad, can we have a talk? I want to talk to you about something. I'm like, okay. And and he's like, "Uh, you know, I want to talk to you about Hiroshima. And what happened, and particularly from me as an American perspective and going, how, how do you think through what happened? You know, was it right, wrong? You know, how do we deal with that? And then we started talking about World War II as well. And, and 
And one of the things I was saying to my son was, this is part of the brokenness of the world that we live in, that you just can't stand on the sidelines and watch as what was happening in World War II, when at first you've got like Germany, you know, takes over one country or one one part, and, you know, and you're like, well, I don't really want a war, so we'll let that one go. We'll let that one slide, right? And then all of a sudden they take over another one, and you're like, well... You know, it's not, we, we'll let them have two sort of idea, right? And of course, it came to, they just kept growing and growing until it came to this point where they're like, um, okay, I, I have to do something now. Uh, you know, right? that doomsday clock, if you will, is speeding towards midnight. Yeah. But, you know, and here we are yet again. I think this is again why the doomsday clock is, is ratcheted up is because now you have a country again that's invaded another country and, and is claiming it as its own. And you're watching this thing happen between Russia and Ukraine, right? And and what what are we doing? Well, we're on the sidelines watching it again, although we're more involved this time because we're trying to, you know, this, by the way, just ratcheted things up recently with Germany and the United States sending tanks over to the Ukraine. But you can feel the tension is brewing in this yeah. situation. And that's part of the the reality of living in a broken world is that... It's not all rainbows and sunshine. Man, we, we have things like war and people dying, and it's terrible. And we unfortunately have to figure out what we're going to do in the midst of, of this brokenness as, as we cry out for God's help. Uh, by the way, Andy, uh, this has really nothing to do with your main point, <laughs> okay. but if Tristan <laughs> wants to come and get a A, Korean perspective on Hiroshima, he can talk to me too. Ooh, maybe we need to do a podcast (laughs) on, yeah, on (laughs) Hiroshima and get, yeah, that'd be interesting, a Korean and American perspective. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, listeners, um, we'll see you with, uh, (laughs) when we do that one, that's going to be a fun one. Um, This, this, you know, this is very obviously not an exhausted conversation. It's, it's definitely one that, I mean, people are going to be having in, in different avenues and different facets. And, you know, people, some Christians, you know, believers, you may be listening right now, just like, okay, so that was a lot. Um, what do we do? Well, it, it's, it's more than just sitting idly by. But the first thing is like, man, check your heart. Where, where is your heart at? You know, Matthew 24, 36 is something that you can cling to. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, only the father knows, you know, and, and there's another portion of Matthew where it's, it says, when you see these signs of destruction and wars and hear rumors of wars that quote unquote, the end is near to, to just to quote people's perspectives. Listen, they were saying that back then. So if he was telling them back then not to worry, because you're going to hear rumors of wars and there were a lot of wars that came afterwards, then Honestly, I say this with all love and grace, stop tripping. Because at the end of the day, if the Lord comes tomorrow, where's your heart at? If he shows up tomorrow, if a bomb drops tomorrow, where's your heart at? Maybe maybe some of that fear you have is because you you don't have a confidence in your faith to know where you are going. Maybe the relationship you currently have with Jesus has been very linear. It's been very just straightforward going through the motions. Well, it's January. You still got time to to, to do that Bible in a year that you said you were going to do. So pick it back up, open the word, let him breathe, let him breathe fresh life into it and let him breathe his life into you. And that is our encouragement for you today. Our encouragement for is not for you to be concerned about the world ending. It's, it's, it's to know that Christ is alive and he wants to live through you every moment and 
uh, every second of the day. So, um, listeners, thank you so much for listening to the AC podcast. We, we do pray that you are challenged and encouraged. Again, make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube as you will be seeing more of the podcast up there very, very shortly. And, uh, again, subscribe to your regular, um, streaming preferences, Spotify, Apple music or Apple podcast, um, your, whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And stay tuned with some of the things we got going on. Head to apologeticscanada.com slash events. We have the AC conference coming up. We have a pre-conference coming up in March, and we would love to see you at one of those three events. And we got a lot more coming along the way. But until next time, love God, love people. Bye for now. It's the AC.